0: If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, and I'm sure that you do, I'd love for you to open up to 2 Corinthians, the logical next step for us to take after just concluding 1 Corinthians. I've had a couple Bible studies going on at one time or preparing for a couple at one time. Um, I I, uh, went back and forth this past couple of weeks deciding on and praying about what was next. I felt like it would just—it uh, made too much sense just to continue on into Second Corinthians. But going forward um, with these Wednesday night Bible studies, probably what we'll do is we'll finish up a New Testament book, we'll go to the Old Testament, and we'll alternate back and forth. Um, our small groups, of course, sometimes we study a whole book, sometimes we study topics. Um, so trying to make sure that we balance uh, the whole counsel of God's Word, I want to make sure that we cover all of God's Word. Of course, on Sunday morning we, we go through various books from front to back, uh, but we will be going through. 2 Corinthians uh, for the foreseeable future. After that, we'll turn to the Old Testament and study about the history of God's people. So I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, for the next several months, really probably for the rest of the year, we've got uh, two, uh, two studies that will carry us through. We'll be in Corinthians until probably the summertime, and then from there, or end of the summer, and then after that we'll, we'll turn to the Old Testament. But uh, we are going to be moving from sec- 1st to 2nd Corinthians. So uh, we, we already kind of know the background of the book. We know the setting and the context for the book. And if you are uh, need a refresher on that, you can go back and, and listen to the, uh, the early messages of 1 Corinthians. But by no means is 2 Corinthians just a continuation of the first. Um, it, this isn't just chapter 17 uh, of, of the pre- continuing the previous 16th chapter. Um, this is something new, uh, even though it's addressing the same group. But it builds on that foundation of what we just covered previously. So you who have been here with us for these studies, it's, it's, it's going to be beneficial to you, and you've got a leg up on a lot of people who might would study this book without studying the first because uh, you kind of know what, we're, what we've already talked about. Um, so remember how the first letter, um, it was a letter about church members learning to see one another as joint members of Christ's body. We, we called the study His Body, because it was about being his body, living up to what it means to be the body of Christ. And it was it there was a lot of messages, a lot of passages and, and messages about us individually realizing how we fit into the collective. So we spent months and months talking about that from various different perspectives and various different uh, uh, angles. So the next letter, 2 Corinthians, is going to be a little bit more personal, a little bit more individualistic, but it's still going going to broaden our our, our perspective to how we fit into the larger world. But again, it will be more individualistic. It will be more about how you as an individual are serving the Lord. Uh, You've already understood your place in Christ. You understand your place in the church, and we'll cover more about that as well But the major focus will be, now that you know how you fit into his body, how are you individually uh, bearing the burden that you have been called to bear? How are you individually uh, pulling your way and living up to the expectations and to the opportunity that you have as a member. So yes, we're part of a body. Yes, we are accountable to one another, but we ourselves have got to be responsible in our own faith. So this is going to make it a little bit more personal as we study this book. Uh, specifically, this book is going to be about seeing ourselves as participants in Christ's life, that Jesus lived a life on earth and he modeled for us the perfect life. And as we study this book, we're going to learn what does it mean to protect participate. participate in the life that Jesus already lived and enables us to live or maybe looking at it from another angle is what does it mean what does it mean to see Christ present in our lives so it's it this book is going to be about participating with Jesus living with Jesus walking with Jesus living life as we should as Christian and we know what the word Christian means it means Christ-like so this book is really the, the quintessential study about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like for us to be Christian? So this letter is going to be, again, more individual focused, but it's still going to offer its insight about how we fit into the, the larger body and communicate our faith to people that are not in the body. Paul wants us to understand that the life that Jesus lived on earth is a model for how we should live our own lives. Uh, And the things he experienced, they are necessary that we ourselves experience in order that we might fully display Jesus. So just as he did, we are to do. But it's going to take some interpretation in terms of showing us how we can follow in his steps. Because after all, he is the Son of God. He is the perfect sinless one. and, And we aren't perfect. We aren't sinless. So it takes some adjusting and it takes some transforming for us to get there, but of course we can get there. So that's what we mean when we say participate in the life of Jesus. So as that we invite him to live through us and that we naturally uh, begin to mimic him uh, and follow in his footsteps. So if you've ever read 2 Corinthians, you know there are various topics as was with 1 Corinthians. Paul's going to deal with a, a topic or a subject across two or three chapters and move on. Um, and, and usually he bridges them together. Sometimes it's kind of a hard cut from one to the other. Uh, but just some of the topics that we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians um, are how to endure struggles, how to overcome temptation, how to shift our priorities from one thing to another that's more important. Uh, and how to uh, and, and evaluating the investments that we're making in life. What are we living for? Are we living for the right things? Are we doing the right things with our time, our money, our our resources, our our callings? Uh, So we've these, these topics are not new these topics are elsewhere in the Bible but we 're going to learn them through the lens of living like Jesus or, and learning to live through Jesus and letting Jesus live through us so it's like that question that was popular in the 90s um, this chapter this book is going to be about asking the question what did Jesus do or what would Jesus do and, and we know what Jesus would do by looking at what he did do right uh, if you if you want to know hey what did Jesus do look at what he did right if you want to know what Jesus meant by what He said. Watch what He did. So we're going to learn about learn how to live through Christ and how to let Christ live in us by asking the question: What did Jesus do when He was on Earth? How did He react to things? Uh, because as we're going to learn tonight, He faced a lot of unexpected twists and turns. He faced a lot of things that would not have been easy for Him to deal with. Yet He still uh, navigated down those challenging roads. So. Paul is not going to reference a gospel account or passage in every chapter, but it's clear as he teaches that he's calling back to the things that Jesus himself faced and did and reacted um, in in his own life. So when it's appropriate, as we will learn tonight, as we'll see tonight, we'll be looking back to the gospels uh, to help you see some references, to cross-reference some chapters and and verses um, for your own benefit going forward. Um, I don't think there is a better book to study in terms of translating Christ's walk to our own. Uh, Translating Christ's walk to our own, as in looking at what Jesus did, learning that that is the standard for Christianity, and figuring out how do we make that something we can do. How, How can we take the way Jesus lived and make it doable or possible for us to ourselves follow suit? So Paul is going to give us practical lessons, chapter after chapter, about how we should process whatever we're going through as people who are in Christ. Now, that's a phrase that it's all over the New Testament. Uh, we're going to read about it a lot in this book. It's all over Paul's letters. But the reason why we're titling this study In Christ is because this book is all about learning what it means to be in Christ. Our lives are now in him, and his life is now in us. Us. So the more sensitive and aware we are of him being us, us being in him, our ability to experience him, uh, the more we will be filled with all the things that we associate Christianity with and the Bible says it's possible for us to have in our hearts. Those spiritual blessings, those spiritual gifts or those spiritual traits. Um, this book is gonna show us how we can be filled with comfort and hope and faith and courage and joy and peace. Confidence and optimism that these things the Bible says that we should have as Christians that we often only have some of the time, or we often only have a little bit of as a Christian. And of course, we have some ups and downs, we're not always running on all eight cylinders, right? But but we can, as Christians, be full of hope, be full of comfort, be full of faith, be strong in our courage, be strong in our joy and our peace, confident and optimistic. Again, not every. I'm sure all of you would admit there's some days that you're a little less optimistic than you wish you were. You're a little less joyful than you wish you could be. You're a little less comfortable with what God has in store for you. And again, we're sensitive creatures. Our feelings go up and down. Life challenges us and things frustrate us and things distract us. But don't, wouldn't you love to be able to ride steady at a full capacity if it were possible? Wouldn't you love to always have an unwavering hope, an unshaken hope? Wouldn't you love to always have the comfort that God promises? Wouldn't you love to always have a strong faith? Wouldn't you love to always be full of joy, overflowing even? Wouldn't you love to always have a peace that surpasses understanding? Wouldn't you love to always be confident in the faces of uncertainty? Wouldn't you love to always be an optimistic person or a a joyful person, a, a believing person no matter what? Of course you would, and and we'll be the first to admit we wish we had more faith. We wish we had a stronger hope. We wish we had peace all the time, and again, I'm right there with you. There are days that we fall short, and there are days that things discourage us and distract us, but this book makes it possible. This book shows us a path forward. Whether you take it or not, Whether you choose to follow it or not, that's up to you, that's up to us. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, this book says we can ride at that full capacity if we will just learn what it means to be in Christ and what it means that Christ is in us. Now, I don't think there's a person in this room tonight that would say, I don't want these things. (laughs) I just want to have a little bit of hope. I, I want to be I, I want to get all upset every day when things go, go the different way than I expected. Nobody wants that right? This book's going to show us the path forward we 're going to j- see just what it has to offer, get a full dose of its power in the tonight's introduction uh, and Paul does not waste any time getting to the point. Um, he's already established the relationship with these, these Christians at Corinth he's taught us what it means to be in the, be the body of Christ. Now he wants to teach us as he did them how to make the most how to make the most of being in Christ so if you want to make the most of your Christian life if you want to make the most of, what it, of your placement in Jesus this book has so much to offer you I think coming off the Easter season this lesson specifically will help us have a deeper understanding of who Jesus was what he went through and how we can learn to live like he lived so right off the bat Verse 1 and 2 is a very short introduction, and we'll cover a few of the pleasantries that Paul mentions, and then we'll get into the bigger message. But I do want to focus on a couple things that are in these first couple verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, underline that if you will, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, who is writing, or who is along with Paul in his journey, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints... And that's another phrase that you should highlight or underline. With all the saints who are in all Acacia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's another phrase to underline and highlight there. Our Father and our Lord. Or it says our Father and the Lord, but the idea is that it's our Father and our Lord. So three things I want to bring out of these two verses. We are not here by accident. We are not alone, and we will never be abandoned. Right off the bat, here's what Paul wants you to know as a Christian. That, we are not, that it is no accident that you are here. It is no accident that you are part of the body of Christ. You are not alone as a Christian, and you will never be abandoned as a Christian. I tell you, these are some of the most comforting headlines for any Christian to dwell on, at least once a day, you should read. The, you should remind yourself of these three things that are true about you as a Christian. You are. It is not an accident that you're here. It, it is. It is not an accident that you are a part of the family of God. You are not alone on this journey and you will never be abandoned. So let me just go through these real quickly. Paul starts out in many of his letters by reminding us that he was made an apostle by the will of God. Here's what he means. God is not surprised that you are here that God is never caught off guard when somebody joins his family, as in he is intentional about calling and choosing those that come into his family. So we should all know it is the will of God, it is the good pleasure of God, it, it is the delight of God that you are here tonight in this place, a part of this family, bigger than just this physical building, a part of the family of God, spiritually speaking. You know, there's a parable that Jesus told about the wedding banquet when all the saints are in heaven waiting for the marriage supper after we've all uh, been raptured and and those that went before us have have died and, and went to heaven. There's a line in that parable where Jesus is talking to someone who is in the banquet hall without a wedding garment on. This is the line in that verse that parable. But when the king came and looked at the guest, he saw there um, there was a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, "Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment?" And the person in the parable was speechless. Do you know what the point of that that, that little part of that parable is? No one is going to end up in heaven or no one ends up as a part of the family of God without God divinely ordaining the whole process. God is not surprised to see any of us. The point of that parable is nobody just sneaks their way in. Nobody just randomly shows up. God is intentional about selecting and choosing and calling. And that's not to say that he leaves some out. That's to say that everybody should understand that God is personally invested in calling you and choosing you. The point of this is to encourage us. The point of this is to remind us that you are not an accident. That nobody just goes to heaven because they're just associated with the movement. You go to heaven and you're a Christian because God personally saw to it that you could be saved. Do you see what I mean there? This is not, this is to remind us that it is the will of God. God is intently and actively involved in placing you in his body and your participation in his body. So you, you can take heart. You can take heart when you're feeling down and you think, hey, I just don't fit in. People tell me all the time, Justin, I just don't fit in. I don't, you know, I just don't think there's a place for me. Church is just not for me. You know, I hear all that. And listen, as someone who often struggles fitting in, I I hear you. But that is the enemy in your head trying to downplay the fact that God has chosen you and called you. You belong because he says so. And if you've never felt formally invited to join his church and follow Jesus, let this be your formal invitation. And this is why the church is called to go to the highways and hedges to compel people so that people will know that it's God's will that they be in his family and feel his invitation. Why do you think the New Testament is all about going and telling, going and telling, because God wants people to know. Maybe you wonder, you know, I I know that the Bible says God loves me, but sometimes I think that that's just God having an obligation to to, to say I love people. Listen, maybe you wonder, you know, yeah, God loves me, but does he like me? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they say they love me, but do they really like me? Do they care about me? Do they actually want me there? God is interested in you like no one else. God is invested in you like no one else. God... He absolutely loves you. He absolutely likes you. He wants you a part of his family. It's not just some obligation that he says, hey, come and join. It's his investment, his interest in you. His Word is alive. His Spirit invites you to follow Him. His church is His megaphone to the world, calling people. It is God's will that you believe and know Him. If you've made it here tonight, it's because He's drawn you here. He's called you here. It is not an accident we all know that famous verse where Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them, and I will be with them. Listen, that that, that word gathered, is that's an important tense of that verb. The word gathered there means to be brought in by some external force, as in it wasn't hey, I decided to do something. I decided to gather with my friends. No, it's the Spirit of God that gathers you. You were gathered here. You were gathered into God's family by His calling and His love for you. Do you see how important that verbiage is? That it wasn't that I got up and felt like it. Yeah, that might have been what I thought, but in, behind the scenes, and you need to know this so you will be encouraged whenever you don't feel like it, God is, chose you. He gathered you. God wants you to be a part of his family because he loves you. You're not just a name on a roster to God. You're not just a number to God. You are someone that he chooses and someone that he calls. And speaking of gathering us, Paul mentions that we are gathered together with all the saints. I tell you, if you believe Christianity is an individual thing, and you believe that the church community is not a necessary part of your faith, and of course you all do, you're here tonight, but there are plenty of people out there who don't believe that Christianity is a communal family experience, and they are sadly mistaken. And you have family members that are sadly mistaken, because they say to you, well, I know I believe, but I don't think I have to go, or I don't want to go, and listen, I I love them, and I know you love them, but I want you to know this, that, that... If somebody has settled for that, they've settled for a sad, inferior version of their faith. God has placed us in a family. There are so many local bodies. There's so many places that you can join to be a part of his family. It's not just one place, right? So many that he has ordained. Paul says we are with all the saints. We are not alone and i'm so glad that we are not alone we are not on our own satan loves to isolate christians he is the master of us isolation he loves he has slayed many believers through this tactic proverbs 18:1 this is a verse you probably haven't read a lot Whoever isolates themselves seeks his own desire, as in it's never God's will for you to be alone, and, 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 and as in isolate yourself off from the family of God. It's never God's will for you to say, I'm just going to be on my own and get in my own little corner, and, 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 and that's what the world does to us, right? It causes us to turn inward. It causes us to sulk sometimes. It won't, we want to shut people out, right? We've all done that, haven't we? Whoever isolates himself seeks their own desire, as in it's a destructive habit of our own nature. It says that we break out against all sound judgment. So what is sound judgment? Sound judgment says you should cling to the family of God. Sound judgment says, or the right thing says, you should be involved in God's family. But when we isolate ourselves, we are going against the very best that God has for us. Remember King David? David. What was his downfall? He disconnected from his brothers and from the fellowship that God put him in. 2 Th- Samuel chapter 11 says, In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Now, if you know the context of that story, David was going through some of a, somewhat of a midlife crisis. David had had some hard luck and he had had some difficult seasons and he chose to withdraw himself from his band of brothers. If you know David, David had a group of mighty men. David was a had a group of guys that they leaned on each other and they loved each other and they sharpened each other and they supported each other and they worshiped together and they fought together and they loved each other and they, they, they supported each other. And the one time in David's life when he pulled back from the community, everything unraveled after that. There's no coincidence that that happened that way. We are all, we are costing ourselves a great joy if we lean away from the body of Christ. Listen, you can be a body on a pew and still be holding yourself back from the community. So I encourage you tonight, know that you are alongside brothers and sisters. You are with brothers and sisters If you downplay the importance of the fellowship of the church, you often, you probably misunderstand and don't truly appreciate the relationship you can have with God. And Paul tells us that there is grace and peace to us from God, our Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to take full advantage of our placement in his family because that reminds us that we will never be abandoned by God. You'll never be abandoned. God will never forsake you. Why? Because God's a good father. He is a good father and he takes care of his children. We we cannot comprehend just how much God loves us. You will never be able to comprehend. We all know what it's like to love our children, love our spouse, love our family, right? But that love, as as bulletproof as it is, there are still some things that test that love. And, of course, you'll never not love your children. You'll never not love your spouse. But there are things that challenge that love, aren't there? There's things that make you kind of question, you know, can, can, I, can I hold on to this pure and powerful love? And, of course, you always push through. But the reason why you love people the way you love people is a thumbprint of your heavenly Father who loves you even more than you could ever love anybody. The reason you can love your spouse no matter what happens, the reason you love your children no matter what is because your heavenly father's thumbprints on your soul and your heavenly father's fingerprints are all over you. And the one thing that makes God unique and different than anything else, anyone else in this world is he unconditionally loves us. And when God calls someone a child, he is never going to abandon them. That, and that does that mean he's gonna just let you do what you want to without disciplining you? Of course not. But God is determined to keep you right where you need to be. He will never abandon you. I love the gospel, how it reminds us of God's love as a father for his children. Jesus said, are not two pharaohs sold for a penny? Are not, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father but even the hairs of your head are numbered fear not therefore you are of more value than many sparrows so jesus the world that he lived in they didn't people didn't think that god loved them they didn't think that god valued them but jesus said let me make it very clear your heavenly father values you you are valuable to him john 15 jesus said this about us as his own greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay his life down for his friends. So what does your Lord think of you? Your Lord does not look at you as if you are a servant. Your Lord, Jesus, says you are his friend. He says in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. So what does God say about you? You're his child. What does Jesus say about you? You're his friend. Now, I don't know about you, But when I call someone a friend, I'm intending on them being my friend without anything getting in between them and me. Things challenge that friendship sometimes. But you know that Jesus will never, ever turn away you uh, as his friend. Jesus is never gonna say to you, hey, we can't be friends anymore, right? And that might make it, we might think, well, that's a little bit too juvenile, isn't it? No, Jesus wants that kind of relationship with you. Just as God says you're his child, Jesus says you are my friend, I've disclosed things to you that I wouldn't tell anybody else. I've revealed things to you that I wouldn't reveal to anybody else. You are more than a servant. You are a friend. Now, if you look at chapter 14 of John, you hear these incredible promises. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. This plays right into the word it means to be in Christ. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. And there we get a preview of what 2 Corinthians is all about. It's about being in Christ to the most to the highest level, to the furthest extent. It's about making the most of what it means that Jesus is in us and we are in him. But as we segue into what the next few verses talk about, let me ask you a question. Do you believe these promises are are true only when things are going good? There's There's a group out there that will say, well, if God is good and God's not going to abandon me, and God's going to make me feel his life, and I'm going to be alive in him. If I'm his friend, I'm his child, then that must mean I'm only going to experience good things. But here's where that logic should, should, should be questioned and challenged. Here's where that, the idea that less than good circumstances somehow suggests that there's something less than good about God should be confronted. Because if you just read the Bible... The people that were closest to God often had the hardest of times, right? Joseph, y'all know the story? What does the Bible say about Joseph? God was with Joseph, but what happened to Joseph? He was thrown in a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, accused of, of assault on Potiphar's wife. He was forgotten about in prison for 13 years, His life was going down, 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 down before he was ever lifted up out of that prison. Yet God was with him. Y'all know the story of Job. I don't have to go through that. He lost everything. Yet God was with him. And Job confessed, God is just as good now than he was before. The story of Moses, maybe we're less than aware. Of course, Moses was the leader, but Moses suffered a lot He went 40 years on the backside of the desert after he murdered a man uh, to try to help it. He killed a man to protect his people, and they rejected him at first. And then he went and lived as a shepherd, obscure and unknown, and then he became the leader of Israel, and he was not always appreciated. He didn't even get to go into the promised land after he did all that. The story of Samuel. Samuel was was the judge put in place to lead Israel, and they flat out said, we don't want you anymore. And it hurt Samuel's feelings. Samuel went to God and said, God, I don't know how to take this. And God said, kind of just chin up, Samuel. They've not only rejected you, they've rejected me. And Samuel had a hard time with that. And he was God's chosen leader. Now we know David as a man after God's own heart, but when David first moved into Israel after he killed the giant, Saul turned on him. Saul literally tried to kill him. David spent 10 years living in caves. And then, after he became king and after things worked out for him, his own son rebelled against him and exiled him from his own kingdom. And he went back to living in caves. Hezekiah, the king of Israel, during one of its most challenging times, came down with a terminal illness. And yes, God healed him, but then he saw his whole family rebel against God and his own son Manasseh become one of the most wicked kings that ever lived. These were all godly men, these were all faithful men, yet they had some of the most challenging circumstances i don't even don't have to go into all the stories of the prophets, but Isaiah the prophet he was uh, he was rejected by his by the nation of Israel. he was forced to walk naked for three years in the desert as he learned what. Israel itself was going through and, and, and the, the, he was, you know, the, the kings captured him and they stripped him of his clothes and he, went, he was wandering the desert for three years Jeremiah the prophet, he was put in a, a well, he was, nobody would listen to him he was thrown into a well, nobody ever responded to Jeremiah's message Jeremiah wasn't even allowed to go to the captivity with, with Babylon, Jeremiah died in the rubble of the temple being destroyed Ezekiel was one of the slaves in Babylon. And the Bible says that God took his wife from him so that he would feel what God felt when Israel left him. God killed his wife. And he had to live through that. Daniel, we think about Daniel being a great leader, but Daniel was taken from his home as a teenager. He was emasculated. His manhood was taken from him. His name was changed. His language was changed. These were godly men, yet all of them suffered. Do you think they ever wondered, is God still good? Yet they knew the goodness of God like nobody else. We could go on. John the Baptist. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man that ever lived. And we know what happened to him he got his head cut off. And Jesus, I mean, what what can you say? The the worst of the worst happened to the very best. Do you think their hardship says something negative about God? No. So, either, but, but the question is if good things only happen because God is good, the question is either God's hypocritical toward the people that served Him the most, or we've got some things confused on our end. Jesus promises to live in us and live for us, for us to live by him. He promises to never abandon us, never forsaken us. Those promises are true no matter what our circumstances are. And here's the message. We will only ever arrive at the goodness of God after we've passed through the struggles of this life and bypassed what we consider good apart from God. We will only ever arrive at God's best if we pass through the struggles of this life and bypass what we would have otherwise settled for. Does that make sense? Because if God doesn't lead us to a higher place, we'll settle for something that's inferior but feels good in the moment. Think about it, our understanding of good is largely informed and influenced without God even in the picture. But when he comes, he shows us much higher and a much better plane of existence. And sometimes in order to get there and experience it, we've got to pass through some challenging waters. Why is that? Other than that, that's the way it's always been for all the saints, Paul is gonna explain that to us from verses three to seven. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of comfort, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's a wordy verse, but do you see what he's saying? We are comforted so that we might be able to comfort others in any trouble with the comfort that God gave us. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, listen to that, listen this chapter, this whole book's about being in Christ and Christ in us. Part of being in Christ and part of Christ in us is that the sufferings of Christ abound in us so that our consolation also abounds through Christ. So what is verse 5 telling us? That in order for us to be full of the comfort of God, we've got to be full of the suffering of Christ. Do y'all read that? So that our consolation also abounds. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffered. So there's there's a point of evangelism here. If we are comforted, it is for your salvation and consolation. Our hope for you is steadfast or our hope as a whole is steadfast and unshaken because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. The God of all comfort, the God of full and whole comfort. Think about the things that you consider comfort. We have certain categories. We have different categories for comfort, don't we? We have things that we're comfortable about with our health, with our finances, with materialism, with scheduling that we have in life. But Paul tells us the greatest level of comfort in any and all categories of this world pales in comparison to the comfort we find in Christ. He tells tells us in verse five that as we share in Christ's suffering, We can share in his comfort and in his hope. So here's what I want to give you in closing. As you face discomforting situations, Paul wants you to to learn to consider it as sharing in Christ. Now, I don't know about y'all, but from the way I read the Gospels, Jesus faced some discomforting things. That's an understatement, isn't it? Just a few examples that I'm not saying you're going to have to experience what he experienced in full. I'm just, saying, I'm just going to show you some things that he faced. The Bible says that Jesus was rejected by his own people. John 1.11, he came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. I imagine that was a little bit discomforting, don't you? When the very people that he went to first said, we don't want anything to do with you. And listen, this was very close to home for Jesus. Literally, his own family rejected him. Mark 3 says, He went home to Nazareth. The crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, that he was there, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Now, how do you think that made Jesus feel? He's crazy. You think, well, who, who, are, who are they talking about? Well, Mark named some names in verse chapter 6. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now we know his mom came around. But his brothers, up until he rose back from the grave, his brothers said, no, thank you. He's crazy. They were offended by him. As in they didn't want anything to do with him. I imagine that's pretty discomforting, don't you? You know what else is pretty discomforting? Jesus didn't have a home. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I take for granted that I have a family that loves me and I have a home. Now a lot of people in this world don't have those things, so I'm not saying I'm not very blessed. But Jesus did not have a home and he did not have a family. Those are those are basic human needs, aren't they? Right? I mean, we think so. Not even considering what he went through on the, the build up to Easter. We went over this on Good Friday. He was mocked, spit upon, beaten, pierced, nailed to a cross. Isaiah the prophet looked forward. And gave us this prophecy about Jesus and what Jesus was thinking as he went through this stuff. I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And this is Jesus saying, I didn't hide from it. I didn't say, oh, I shouldn't have to face this. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. What is Jesus saying? I know that if I'm facing this, God has something better for me in the future. And for me to get to God's best, I'm going to have to go through this. I know I'm a pretty big nerd, so... I, I know I bring up a lot of stuff, but this probably isn't too random of a reference. There was a Batman trilogy that came out about 15 years ago. Uh, Christopher Bale played Batman, and, and in the trilogy, one of the themes in the trilogy was how Batman, Bruce Wayne's very famous, very wealthy man, very powerful man, but he went through a lot of personal loss. And the theme of that trilogy is uh, centered around a question that that Bruce Wayne asked Alfred, his, his butler. And if you've ever seen the movies, you've probably heard this question. But Bruce Wayne asked Alfred at one point in the movies, why do we fall? As in, why do we as humans seem to always face hardships that when we feel like we're solid on a foundation, it's like the rug gets pulled out and we crumble? And if you remember the movie, Alfred says... We fall so that we can learn to pick ourselves back up. You know why we fall as Christians? You know why we face disgrace as Christians? So that we can learn that this world is not our greatest comfort and that we might learn to find true comfort in God who lifts us up stronger and more satisfied than before so that we can learn our greatest comfort and our greatest hope. Church, this ought to be the message that every Christian proclaims to the world. There's a world that's hurting around us, struggling around us. God can meet anyone in their pit, and he can raise them up and strengthen them better than they were ever before. We ought to count it a privilege that we get to share in the sufferings of Christ. Because if we didn't share in his sufferings, we would not share in his comfort. And his comfort makes it all worth it. If we want this world's comfort, we'll never know what God has to offer. And listen, this world's comfort is so short-lived. We use up one reservoir, and we find another one. And we use that one up, and we find another one. Verse 6 hits so—really serves it up. uh, where He says, if we are afflicted, it is for the consolation and salvation of others— if What if you considered the hardships you're facing that God is trying to showcase his comforting power to a fallen and frustrated world? God wants to use you as a picture of what he can do. He wants to use you as a picture of someone who is not leaning on the world for comfort, but is leaning on him. Life is full of ups and downs, but God allows us to stumble because, he, because we know that he can raise us back up with spiritual strength. There's a lot of people that don't know that. And if God wants to use our lives to showcase that, then we should feel honored. And the closer we get to Jesus, this is where a lot of people say I'm out. This is where a lot of people, because of the immaturity of their faith, don't want more of this. But listen, if you get closer to Jesus and you trust in Jesus and you allow him to fill you up with his life and you allow him to walk through you and live through you, you'll be more satisfied with sharing in his sufferings because you'll be even more filled with his comfort. Verse 8 through 11 in closing. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we were despaired even of life. Paul's saying, hey, it wasn't pretty. I'm not acting like it didn't hurt us. We went through some stuff. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should trust in ourselves, not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from the great from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he still will deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. He says in verse seven that our hope is steadfast or our hope is unshaken. And then in verse verse. He says, we faced this so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. That is so powerful. God wants to give us an unshaken hope that in the things that we face are so that we would rely on God and not ourselves. Church, don't we need that lesson every day? How often do we shift our faith out of God to something lesser than? All the time, don't we? We shift our faith. We're we're trusting in God, but then they call, and we don't need God anymore. We trust in God, but then the money comes in, we don't need him anymore. We trust in God, and the doctor says you're good, we don't need God anymore. Come on, we do this, don't we? We're begging for God's mercy, but then we get the goodness of this world, and we don't really beg anymore. Don't you know what God is trying to show us through all this? If somebody is saved, they're going to constantly be reminded that God is better than anything else and his comfort's better than whatever else we might find comfort in. If someone is living without relying on God and they're not being tested, they must not know God because if they belong to him, he's going to shake their ground until they double down on him. Hebrews 12, 28 says that we... Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. God has delivered us and he will deliver us again and only through him can we expect to be delivered. So let us rejoice at his reminders and his insistence that we trust in him only. And let us not get aggravated when things don't go our way, but let that be a reminder to us He is letting us share in some of the frustration that Jesus faced so that we can share in the hope of the resurrection. What does verse 9 say? We had the sentence of death so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So why did you get that bad news? Why did that day go wrong for you? Why did God let you feel that pressure and feel that frustration? So that you would not shift your faith to something lesser than. Come on. Nothing compares to him. Why should we settle for less? So what's lesson number one in being in Christ? What's lesson number one in having the life of Christ in us and having us in the life of Christ? It's let's not settle for anything less than him. His hope is, and his comfort are greater than what this world offers us. And if it takes going through a valley to get that hope and that comfort, we should rejoice and be glad because it's worth it. And we can tell the world, hey, look at what our God is doing. Look at what my God is doing. He is raising us up. Why do we fall? Why do we fall? So that we might learn that God can pick us back up and that only through god can we stand up and stand strong and stay on the solid rock may we never forget that may we never forget that let me pray for you heavenly father thank you so much lord for this perspective that helps life helps life make so much sense and lord thank you for allowing us to share in the sufferings of Christ so that we might share in the blessings of Christ. Father, I pray you might would encourage us tonight that maybe some things that we faced that were less than ideal, maybe we now realize they were part of your plan to lift us up and to raise us up and to strengthen us. Help us to know that it was by no accident that we were brought here that we're not alone and will never be abandoned. And if we look at life through that lens, as we face hardships, as we face challenges, we won't get discouraged, but we will know that our Savior is very near and our God will vindicate us. And that in the, in the midst of this struggle, we're gonna feel and experience something that we would not have otherwise. Thank you, Lord, for this hope unshaken and steadfast. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.